question this morning as we jump into the Word of God. Is anybody in here a little bit of an adventure junkie? Like you just, you really enjoy an opportunity for adventure. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, raise your hand. Okay, there's a few of you. Some of you are like, I used to be, but now I'm too old for that. Listen, there are still opportunities out there. I love adventures. I will take every opportunity to do something Uh, to challenge myself, to do something exciting. And if I have the opportunity to say yes, and it's something that I can do, uh, really the only things that limit my adventure in life is is like time and kids and money and stuff like that. It's, you know, the not important stuff, right? But but, um, I travel really unlocked adventure for me. Like growing up, my family didn't travel a lot. Like we went to Nebraska every year because that's where my grandparents lived. That was about as exciting as it got. But I remember when I was in youth group, um, our, our youth group took a trip out to Estes Park, Colorado for a youth convention. And it was the coolest thing ever. I had never seen the mountains before. It felt like an eternity to drive out there. I think it's about a 16-hour drive. And so we got out there, and we saw the mountains, and we ended up in, in Estes Park. And we're, we're sitting in this campground in the middle of the mountains. There's mountains everywhere. It's just beautiful. It's incredible. I'd never seen anything like that. And I'm like, I had this thought going through my head. I want to see a sunrise from the top of a mountain. I think that would be really cool. I don't know if the sun looks any different from the top of a mountain or not, but I'm going to find out. So I, got, I recruited some of my friends who were in, in the dorm with me. And I'm like, we're going to sneak out at 4 a.m. And we're going to take a two-hour hike to go climb to the top of this mountain so that we can see the sunrise from the top of the mountain. I'm like, how cool is that? Who's in? And like three of them were like, uh, 4 a.m., no thank you. <laughs> right? But I got a couple other adventure junkies to go with me. And so we snuck out of our dorm room at 4 a.m. And we climbed up this mountain path in the middle of the night Uh, which was a little bit scary, I'm not going to lie, but it was really cool, and we made it to the top just in time to see the sunrise, and I will never forget that moment. It was so worth it. We came back down and and got back home just in time, or got back to the campground just in time for breakfast. It was great. Um, (laughs) So since then, I've done some really fun things. Um, I once climbed to the top of an ancient ruin in Belize, um, I, I took a rope swing into a lake inside an active volcano in El Salvador. In fact, this is the picture right here. This is a crater lake in the middle of an active volcano, and this is a trapeze. It goes off this big dock, and you swing out into the water, and, and the, the bank of the, the lake is so steep that if you get five feet out into the lake, it's 20 feet deep at that point. So we, we swung off into that, and that after doing it a couple times, I got enough courage to go backwards. And it, it was a blast. It was really exciting. Um, I've driven four-wheelers into the jungle in Mexico, where we, and sketchy four-wheelers, <laughs> right on top of that. Like, I'm like, I'm not sure these are making it back. And we got to this place, and we, we did the zip line into these cenotes, which is this, this cave filled with water. And so you zip line out into the cenote and you drop into it. It was really, really cool. Um, and I've also been on safaris in Africa where we were 30 feet 
from lions and cheetahs in an open-air vehicle. In fact, that's a picture I took. That's not like some stock picture. I took that picture, okay? That cheetah was probably 20 feet away from us. It, we were in, a, in a, one of those like Range Rover type things. No roof or anything like that. It was crazy. And it's like this cheetah, he was sitting back and just relaxing in the sun until we got up close. Then he did that. And so I'm like, I'm taking pictures, but really right now I'm pooping my pants, okay? <laughs> I mean, it was really cool. We saw lions, we saw elephants that were just, just a few feet away. It was amazing. Um, I went to a group of Israel once with a bunch of people that I did not know at all. I had never met in my entire life. And on the way, um, I had one day in New York City, and so I decided I'm not going to be in New York City very often. I'm going to go exploring. So I learned how to use the subway, and I just went for about 24 hours straight and just jumped on the subway and went all around the city and saw as many things as I possibly could. By the time I got on the plane to go to Israel, I was so tired, I slept the entire way there. It was amazing. And then I got to Israel and had an amazing week with a bunch of people I didn't know at all. Um, and the last day that we were there, I was sitting in our hotel room. We had about three hours till the shuttle came to pick us up for our flights. And I'm like, I'm in Israel. Like, I'm going to go do something cool. So I threw on my running shoes, and I took a jog into the old city in Jerusalem. Didn't tell anybody where I was going. Uh, I was just completely on my own in a foreign country um, where they just had a terrorist attack a couple of days ago. <laughs> right? And, and so here I am. I'm looking out on the Mount of Olives, and this was a picture uh, from that day, just the, the view that I had. I jogged there. It was about a two-mile jog. I mean, incredible. And I'll never forget those moments. Uh, but maybe the greatest adventure that I've ever been on, I hiked with a five-year-old for five miles in Sedona, Arizona last spring. This is a picture of Ella. She was a, an absolute trooper. Like this, this was crazy to take a five-year-old on this hike, but we started going around and like once you get halfway, you might as well just finish going around, right? And so we, we made it on this incredible hike. I want my kids to have this sense of adventure. I want them to be willing to say yes, and, and Kayla will probably tell you, I was downright annoying this spring in all the different things that I wanted to do. I'm like, let's go hiking. Can't we just sit and watch TV, Dad? No, like we're gonna go do something. And, and I've found that every time that I've said yes to an opportunity for an adventure, I've never regretted those moments. All right. You know what? We'll just swap it real quick because I hate holding this thing. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> All right. Well, if that wasn't awkward enough for a transition... Um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10 this morning, and if you want to follow along, grab a Bible, 
Uh, we're going to put it on the screen as well. If you don't own a Bible, by the way, take one of those in, in the seat pockets in front of you. That's our gift to you. We want you to have it. We want as many people to have access to God's Word as we possibly can. If you know somebody that needs a Bible, take one and give it to them. Um, we will buy a new one. We want people to have God's Word, okay? So um, Mark chapter 10, and we're going to jump right into the story this morning, and I'm going to read a verse or two at a time, and we're going to kind of walk through it together and learn some things about what it's like to have an adventure with Jesus. Is anybody down for an adventure with Jesus? Even some of you who are like, I don't really like adventure that much. Listen, this is one you can't say no to, okay? Um, now, the first thing uh, that I notice as, as we read this story about this young man that comes up to Jesus is he's so close to being on the right path. Let's, let's read about what it says. We're going to start in verse 17. This is the story. Um, maybe you've heard of it before. It's called the story of the rich young ruler. Um, and so we know that this guy was wealthy. We know that he was young, which probably means he was, was cooler than me, and that, uh, and that he was a, a ruler of some sort, that he had some important position. And so verse 17 says this, As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, so he's really close here to the right thing. Um, let me show you what I mean. First of all, he realizes that there's more to life than, than what he has, than what he's currently experiencing. He realizes that eternity is real. He wants eternal life, and so he's asking Jesus, can I tell you something? That is, that is a lot of hurdles that he's already gone over, right? He already knows that there's something more out there. He knows that he wants eternal life, and he's asking the right person. He's asking Jesus. Now, I'll, I'll tell you something. As a pastor, I can count on one hand the number of times that somebody's come up to me unprompted and said, can I give my life to Jesus, right? How do I do that? Those moments are awesome, but they don't happen very often, right? And so here's somebody coming up to Jesus and saying, teacher, how, how, do, I have, how do I get eternal life? Good teacher. And that's the first thing I want us to realize is that close is not good enough. Close is not good enough. You've, you've probably heard this saying before, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, right? <laughs> now that's funny, <laughs> but when it comes to faith in Jesus, either you're all in or you're all out, okay? There's no, there's no kind of saved and kind of not saved. It's either you're, you're saved or you're not. And this young man makes a fatal error Here's what he asks. He says, what can I do to be saved? And right from this moment, you see how Jesus responds to him. And, and, and it might be a little bit confusing to you. It was to me as I read it. But, but you see right from the beginning that he's saying, what can I do to be saved? That's the problem right there. There's nothing he can do to be saved. And so Jesus says to him in verse 18, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, let me just explain something. When, when he says good teacher, he's not saying that Jesus is a good teacher. He's saying that Jesus is good and a teacher. And so if you look at the original language, that's what's inferred there, right? That Jesus isn't just a, somebody who's good at teaching. He's a good person and he's also a teacher. And so Jesus says, why do you say that I'm a good teacher. Teacher, why do you call me good? 
No one's good except God alone. Jesus is baiting him a little bit here. And, and you see a little bit of Jesus' personality in this story. This is one thing that I love about Jesus. Uh, he's, he's got a little bit of an edge to him sometimes, right? He's, he uses sarcasm and a sense of humor at times. And we see that in this story. He says, do you think that I'm God, basically, is what he's asking him. But then he doesn't wait for him to answer. He goes on and says in verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And so he starts listing these Ten Commandments. And it doesn't tell us this in Scripture, but I'm kind of inferring here that, that this man interrupts Jesus before he finishes listing out the Ten Commandments. And he's like, yeah, I know all that already. I know all that already. In fact, verse 20, it says, And he said to him, Teacher, all these I've kept... From my youth. In other words, yeah, I know about that. I've done that. And I think the implication here is that he's diligently followed the, the law since his youth. Now, I could buy that he hasn't committed murder or adultery. Maybe he's never even stolen anything, although that one's getting a little bit more unlikely. But listen, I do not believe that this guy has never lied in his entire life, right? And I certainly don't believe that he has never um, said anything that wasn't honoring to his father and mother, right? And so if the implication is that he's kept the whole law and that Jesus hasn't even had an opportunity to finish listing it yet, that's even more absurd. Now, here's the question that, that I want to ask. Why do you think Jesus went to the law? Why didn't he just say, listen... I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? He says that in the book of John. No one comes to the Father except through me. And listen, in a little bit, I'm going to die on a cross, and I'm going to raise again, and, and this is the gospel message. So you want to know what you need to do to be saved? You need to follow after me. But he doesn't tell him that at all. He points them to the Old Testament scriptures. Why? Because the first question that this person asked is, what do I have to do to be saved? Right? He's already looking in the wrong place. He's already looking to himself to ultimately find a way for salvation. So Jesus took him to the law and he said, listen, follow all these laws, do all the right things, and then you can be saved. And we know from experience and we know from scripture that, that the law can't save anyone because we are physically and mentally incapable of obeying it. Right? Even from the moment that we were born, we were born into a sinful nature. There's nothing that we could possibly do to be right before God based on what we do ourselves. So he recognizes that this guy isn't looking for a path to salvation. He's looking to save himself. Next thing I want us to realize is that your trying does not count. Your trying does not count. Listen. This is a hard one for most of us to hear because um, we're all out there trying to be good people, right? We're trying to do the right thing. Um, there's a method to sharing the gospel that, that I learned even when I was a kid. And uh, it's, it's generally, um, I haven't like, led a bunch of people to the Lord in this way. Uh, in fact, I don't know that I've ever actually had the opportunity right in that moment 
to pray the prayer of salvation with somebody after one of these conversations. But it is a way to open up the door to some meaningful conversation. So it's kind of a list of questions, and there are a number of different variations on this. Um, but here's the first question that, that you would ask somebody if you're sharing the gospel with them. You say, do you believe that there's a heaven? And, you know, you'll get probably mixed responses, but most people will say yes. Now, if you ask them if there's a hell, a lot, lot fewer people will say yes to that. But if you ask them if there's a heaven, most people will say yes. They believe that there's something after life. And so then the next question you ask them is, do you believe that you'll get there? And maybe you'd even say on a scale of 1 to 10, how sure of you, are you that you'll make it to heaven? And you'll get a bunch of different responses there if you're talking to people outside of the church who don't necessarily know the right answers. And uh, most people will still say, though, yeah, I, I think I'll get there, or at the very least, I hope so. Right? That's a, that's a response that you'll hear a lot. And then the next question that you ask them um, is, if God were to let you into his heaven, why would, why would he do that? Why would he let you into his heaven? What would the reason be? And it will always start, the response for that, that question would always start with, well, I... And immediately you can go, eh, wrong, right? Because the moment you say I, it becomes about what you do, about your works, about your effort, about your ability to find salvation, to find hope. Well, I feel like I'm a pretty good person, right? That's a response you'll hear a lot. <laughs> it's always something to do with what I have to offer to God. Now then you're supposed to point them to the scriptures and show them that they're not really so great after all, right? Because that's, that's ultimately what the law does. It convinces us that we have no way to save ourselves. And listen, I'm not convinced this is maybe the most effective method to reach people for Christ, but it gets people thinking. So let's keep reading in our story as Jesus is talking to this young man. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Now, a couple of things I want us to realize. This story is communicated in Matthew and in Luke as well. So it's in three out of the four Gospels. Uh, one of the few stories that's in three out of the four. And in the other accounts, it leaves out that phrase, and Jesus loved him. And that's why it's so important to read all of Scripture, because you get different perspectives from different authors. And I always read this story, like if you were to read it in, in Matthew and look, I always read this story as Jesus being kind of snarky and mean to this guy. Like that, uh, well, you know what? If you just follow the law from the day that you're born and do all the right things, then you can inherit eternal life. But Jesus is not being snarky or mean or rude here. In fact, this important detail in the book of Mark is that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then he said to them, you lack one thing, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. This wasn't, this wasn't a dig at this guy, right? This wasn't Jesus rubbing it in his face that, that he was holding something back. 
It wasn't Jesus being rude or snarky. But I want you to see something. His intention by asking these questions that he already knew the answer to was not to embarrass or humiliate him. It says that he saw him, that he loved him. In other words, this, what he said here was said in sadness for the response that he knew was coming. You know, here's the third thing I want us to realize. Following Jesus means total commitment. It means total commitment. It means everything in your life has to be surrendered to him. I've seen a lot of people make the decision to follow Jesus and ask him into their hearts in my years of pastoring. And it's one of the most exciting things that, that you can experience as a Christian, as a believer, is to give somebody the opportunity um, to make a commitment, to make a decision to follow Jesus. I love it. It's, it's, it's my favorite. <laughs> it's amazing. But here's the reality. Jesus didn't call us to make converts. He called us to make disciples. And getting someone to say yes is a lot different than getting someone to lay down their life for the sake of the gospel. Verse 22 says, Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. <laughs> so what's Jesus saying here? He's telling us that being a Christian um, means that every part of your life needs to be surrendered to God. It doesn't mean that you can't own anything, right? I, I don't believe that that's the point of this story, that, that if you own any possessions, that you can't really be a follower of Jesus Christ. He was speaking to this individual because he knew his heart. And he knew that what he had was holding him back from truly following Jesus. He was inviting him on this incredible adventure to go and follow Christ. He was asking him to leave behind what defined him in the past, and to choose to follow Jesus. And that was more than he could handle. You know, I actually have a similar story about a guy at my former church. He had he'd come to church because of a girl, actually, that was on our, our worship team who attended the church. And, uh, and uh, so he liked her, and so he's like, well, if she goes to church every Sunday, I'm going to go to church every Sunday. And so he started coming to church. He made a decision to follow Jesus, actually, one week while I was preaching and uh, I remember um, seeing him raise his hand and, and make a decision to follow Christ. And so I took it upon myself to personally help disciple this guy. And so I invited him to a bunch of stuff, including the Alpha Course. He went through the Alpha Course. He started tithing. He started making friends at the church. And I'm like, this is going really well. And uh, this guy's passionate about Jesus. And, and you could see the transformation in his life. And um, he ended up, like, not dating this girl at all. In fact, she ended up marrying somebody else. But he stayed faithful to the church, and um, he was committed, and he was following Christ. And in my last few months at this church, he started dating this girl who wasn't a Christian. And so I talked to him about it because I'm like, listen, this is a bad idea, man. Like, but I, I just wasn't getting through to him at all. Like, he wasn't hearing me. Um, they were taking trips all over the place, ended up moving in together. Eventually, he started missing Sundays at, at church and spending less and less time with people from that church and um, just kind of pulled him away. And that girl dumped him, right? And so instantly, he's back. <laughs> like, like He was gone, and then this girl broke up with him, and he's back again. 
And I remember saying to him, like, do you see what that relationship did to you and your relationship with Jesus? It was an idol in your life. And he actually agreed with that. And I was like, you're giving her the place that you gave God. And, and so he agreed with me. Everything was good. He ended up being faithful again in church. And so um, in this period that I ended up leaving Bethel's Rock and coming here to Delano. And, but we stayed in touch and we were texting and... Um, then eventually, uh, we, we kind of texted and connected a little bit less and less over time, and um, he stopped texting me altogether, and I was like, what's, what's going on? And like, uh, he wouldn't respond when, when I'd reach out to him. So eventually, I realized through social media that he had a new girlfriend again. And uh, so I, I talked with my pastor at that other church, and he said, yeah, he started dating this girl who wasn't a Christian and just disappeared. Like here we go again, right? Listen, can I just say something? Like, having premarital sex will not separate you from the love of Jesus Christ, but putting sex or any relationship or anything else in front of Jesus Christ will, right? It's, it's not the sin that, that ultimately separates us, but it's when we put anything in front of our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's when we place something higher than Jesus Christ. And if we choose our sinful life and we choose that over the way that God wants us to live our lives, then we're ultimately rejecting the offering that he's given to us. It's not that that a mistake or, or a sin or a choice or something like that that we did wrong is what removes us from that relationship with Christ, but it's the rejection of what he's offered to us that ultimately separates us from God's love. That's what this young man was going through. Verse 23 says, And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And again, the disciples were amazed at his word. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Um, now, what scholars and, and different um, thinkers have done over the, the few years, the 2,000 years um, since uh, we've, Jesus first uttered these words, till today is they've they've taken all the fun out of this statement okay like they they have this theory out there maybe you've heard this before that there was a special gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle and it was a small gate and so for a camel to fit through this gate it would have to take off all the things that it was hauling and it would have to get down on its knees and go through this gate and you know what what um the reality is there's actually no archaeological and historical evidence whatsoever to show that any gate like this ever existed, right? This is people trying to suck the fun out of what Jesus was saying. He's telling a joke, people! Like, you can't put a camel through the eye of a needle. Like, that's funny, right? Like, can you just, just picture that in your mind for a second? Like, a camel, like... Well, what do I do first? Put my hoof through? Like, no, Jesus is trying to make a point here, right? And, and, and here's this, this picture he's given to the disciples. He's saying, listen, you got to choose what's going to be your God. Is it going to be your money? Is it going to be your life? Even your family or, or 
things that you consider really important that are important, if you put them before your relationship with God, anything in that area, whether it's a relationship, whether it's another person or not, listen, anything that comes before Christ is ultimately at danger of separating you from the love that he extends to you. Right? If we make anything an idol, it can create that separation. Here's the last thing. Uh, And this is not the most encouraging point in the world, but it's a reality. Choosing the world over Jesus is normal. It's normal. I was having a conversation with somebody a while back, and they were asking about people who had come to faith over the last few years who weren't at our church any longer. And the harsh reality is that it's not that, that we're failing at discipleship. It's that most people ultimately choose the world over Jesus. That, that's, that's how it works, right? Because there's so many temptations out there. and there's, In fact, it says in Scripture that the path that leads to salvation is a narrow path. And the gate that leads to destruction is wide. Many walk through it. Right? It's easier to follow the world than to follow Jesus. And the harsh reality is that a lot of people are going to choose the world over Jesus. That's why it's so important that we teach our kids at a young age what their priorities should be. Right? They need to learn from you at a young age what's worth valuing. Every day is a lesson to your kids and what's most important to you. And you may not even realize it, but they're watching what you choose. They're watching the decisions that you make. Listen, Jesus is offering an adventure to you. He's offering a life of following him. There is no greater blessing than to follow Jesus. But the world has a lot to offer to you. And can I tell you something? Your kids know what you're choosing. Whether it's money or sports or entertainment or education or your career, there are a lot of different offerings out there. There are a lot of different things that you can choose. And if you teach them values that lead to other things, it's almost impossible to retrain those values. It's like trying to fit a camel through the eye of a needle. And I feel for Jesus. Like he's telling a joke and nobody's laughing. Listen, I know how that feels. Okay, my jokes are funny. Okay, <laughs> right? And so Jesus is given this picture of what it's like to choose to follow Jesus. It's a hard path. Verse 26 says this, and they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, well, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it's impossible. This is how I know it's not some realistic gate that actually existed. No, what he's saying is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, I love this, See, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus, we're doing so good. (laughs) Oh, you just wait, Peter. (laughs) Wait till we get to Easter Sunday, right? Like, ah. Look, Jesus' point here is that if you're looking for self-discipline to get you where you need to go, you're going to always come up short. If you're looking for your own answer to the problems that are facing you, you're going to struggle. It's about receiving his grace. 
Uh, I need some help with this. I'm going to have Leah. Would you come up here, Leah? All right. Leah, I want you, I have $5 right here. Big spender here. Leah, I want you to try to take this from my hand. Okay? Try to take this $5 from me. No, no. I I said, can you try to take, you actually took it from me. I want you to, I want you to try to take it from me. You're not trying very hard. I need you to, I need you to give a little more effort here. Can you try? Work at it. You're not trying. Can you try? Come on, Leah. You could do this. I believe in you. Can you just try to take it from me? I, I need you to try. Okay. Listen. Here's the deal. It is impossible to try to take something that's freely given. You can keep that, by the way. Thank you, Leah. I'm sorry, it's not a bigger bill. I should have <laughs> It's impossible to try to take something that's freely given. Hello? Does that make sense to anybody? When Jesus is offering his grace to you, you either receive it or you don't. I'm going to just try to be a good person. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try to do that. Stop it. Right? You're not getting anywhere with that. Either you receive it and you accept it fully. Now, that doesn't mean that it's easy to follow Jesus, but it's easy to receive his grace. So you're all in or you're all out. There's no close enough. There's no trying. There's no effort involved. It's either you receive it completely or you don't receive it at all. That's the hope of Jesus. Now, here's the last thing I want to share with you this morning. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Let's close with this. Verse 29, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left his house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So listen, if you're living for this world and what it has to offer this morning... This is as good as it's going to get. But Jesus' promise to you is he's worth it. And the moment you choose to place him first in your life and lay down your own ambitions, lay down whatever possessions you might have and trust God that he's enough, that he has your best interest at heart and place your faith in him and receive his free gift to you, The moment you choose to do that, his promise to you is, listen, eternity is going to be a hundred times better than anything you're giving up here on this earth. What an incredible promise. So good. Can we just bow our heads in this place? And I want to just give you an 
opportunity. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior before. His invitation is for you. It's not easy to say, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. It's not easy to lay down your life and to choose to follow him. But it is his gift to you. And I just want to give you the opportunity this morning to take that step on this journey. And it is a journey, but it begins with a first step. Scripture tells us that if we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Tells us that if we believe in him, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts, that Jesus died and rose again, that we will be saved. It's his promise to us. It's not anything that you could do to earn it, but he offers it as his free gift to you. That's you this morning. You'd like to do that. You'd like to make that decision today to follow Christ and to make him your priority and to go on an incredible adventure with him. Don't make the same mistake that this young man made in choosing what he chose. Can I tell you something? He might have been at the time a rich young ruler, but he's old and dead now. He has nothing. And his eternity is hell because of what he chose that day. Don't make that same mistake. God's offer for you is a good one. And it's the most incredible decision you will ever make to follow him. If you'd like to make that choice today and choose to follow Christ, you just raise up a hand? I just want to pray with you. Is there anybody here that would like to do that today? Not. I'm going to ask that we would just stand together this morning. Uh, we would, as a church, commit our hearts to this adventure with Christ, to following him, no matter what goes on. So would you just... Uh, Pray in your hearts with me as, as I pray out loud. Heavenly Father, we give you our lives this morning, Lord. We're on this journey with you. We've said yes to the adventure that it means to follow Jesus. That's why we're here in church today. That's why we're celebrating your life. Lord, help us on this journey to stay faithful to the things that matter most. Help us not to be distracted or have our heads turned by the things that the world has to offer. But help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We love you, Lord, and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you. We'll see you.